Only when I have ceased to breathe will I be dead. I have led the entire human race to ruin. Someday you just can't get rid of a bomb. This is the trouble! You have been a good boy. Have a lollipop. That was the speech! It was dumb! It was obvious! It was pointless! It was short! I loved it! Welcome to Film Logic, a movie podcast about the movies of the past, present, future, with all the fandoms in between. I am one of the hosts, Mike, and I'm with another host who's somewhere. I'm over here. You're over there. I'm here. Hi. Yep, uh, I just looked in the corner of my uh, attic. There he is. <laughs> yep, mm-hmm. I'm hiding in the shadows because, as we in the Northeast know, it's spooky season. Yeah, we don't do things virtual. Mm-mm. We have to be in the same room. Right, whether physically or across the spiritual realm. Yes. Actually, that is a lie. <laughs> in fact, I did 50 episodes with Adam. And then when we actually saw each other IRL, I couldn't <laughs> believe his hair was like four That's feet so long. long. Yeah, I, I have been growing my hair out. It's almost been a year. Um, it's about time for me. It's almost long enough to donate it. So I think at some point before it gets too cold, I'm going to braid it up, cut it, and donate it. So yes, it's getting pretty long. You did like the opposite of what Lex Luger did. His hair got exactly. smaller as he progressed. <laughs> right, right. Yes. Oh, man. Well, anyways, this anyways. is our movie podcast. We're part of the Retrologic Network, and we're not just a bunch of podcasts, though we do have some amazing podcasts about retro games and retro music and things you can play on Twitch. But we're also a Discord full of great gals and great guys just talking about Fun Nintendo, fun Atari, fun PlayStation things. Mm-hmm. And us, yeah. we talk about movies. Yeah, we talk about movies. Yeah, pretty much anything that you can geek out about, we'd love to talk about it. Yeah. Even dinosaurs. Oh, yeah, baby. Yes. Well, anyways, speaking of dinosaurs, mm. Adam, have you seen <laughs> any good movies? <laughs> what a <laughs> What a transition. Um, yeah, Mike, so I, I know that, I don't know, maybe a, had to be half a dozen episodes or so ago in the past, we, we somebody was talking about Mission Impossible, I believe, and I yeah. think I, I said that I had vague memories of seeing the John Woo version, I, at the second, I think it's the second one, Yeah, but I hadn't seen almost any of the other ones. So um, I was surfing on Netflix, and I saw that the the first ones, I think, um, Mission Impossible 1 through Ghost Protocol were on Netflix. So I was like, perfect, I don't want to watch for a week. So mm-hmm. I, I made my way through those movies. And, Mike, I, I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts. But first, I want to ask you, Mike, are you, are you a fan of the series? Have you seen them? Well, I... Yeah, I saw the first one. I saw bits mm-hmm. of the second one. And then the third one, I was a fanboy over because Philip Seymour Hoffman's a Rochester oh, native. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had to love him by law. <laughs> and yeah, pretty much 
that was it. You know, <laughs> well, you know, no, I saw and I was getting a ghost protocol I saw. Okay. That's the one where he fights a garage. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then I skipped Rogue Nation and went straight for Fallout. And then Fallout was amazing, but I didn't understand the plot at all. So uh. I said, this isn't why I see movies. I see movies to escape, not to learn. So I said, you're grounded, Mission Impossible. You're, you're grounded in Mission Impossible. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're, you know, these these movies are, are interesting because it feels like there's, um, it, it kind of comes in, in waves and yeah. um, of, like, quality. Uh, like these, the movies, the first couple are okay. They're they're fine. They're just fine. The second one is very like early two thousands actiony movie, and it makes sense that it's directed by John Woo. The first yeah. one is very unlike any of the other ones because it's directed by uh, Brian De Palma, who did movies like Carrie and Dressed to Kill and The Untouchables. Um. And that the first one is very like almost like a psychological horror movie, um, yeah. Where you you can't really trust the narrator. You don't know, you know, is Tom Cruise? Can you trust him? Can you not? And then, you know, Mission Impossible Three heralds J.J. Abrams' entry into the series, and that one is very actiony, of course, because it's J.J. Abrams. But it's also like the first one to get you know, really good reviews. By really good reviews, I mean it's like a 70. Um, and then yeah. Ghost Protocol and um, Rogue Nation are probably the the most well-received out of the series. Um, you know, they're, they they got good, good ratings. But, um, yeah, I, I really just want to talk about... Um, you know the the rise and maybe the the fall of these like ensemble action flicks, but I think unlike you know the Fast and the Furious movies where you know they have hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars put into them, yeah. like these movies they didn't have that much money into them. It's like you know around the hundred and thirty million dollar mark, and you know you know half of that budget's going to Tom Cruise, but of course, um. But yeah, it, it really doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of movies that are um, coming out like that. They're either, you know, mega budget action films, um, yeah, or they're like, because I, I, when I think Mission Impossible, you think like high concept, like you know, uh, outlandish plots, right? Yeah. You know, uh, you know they have to break into the Pentagon or whatever, the Kremlin, what have you. And you know, there's people that are stealing faces. There are right, you know, uh, cool sunglasses that can track people. Um, you got Tom Cruise jumping out of planes, buildings, what have you. Um, and there are some movies that achieve that, right? Like the you know you have the Expendables, you have the Fast and the Furious movies. Or, you know, you have John Wick. Um, but then you don't have movies that necessarily have, um, especially the later ones, they kind of have a, um, like, a realness to them. They're, they, it feels, it doesn't, it, like, it, like, it takes itself serious enough. Like, it knows yeah. that it's, 
you know, it's ridiculous, but it's like it takes itself real and it, it works on this own kind of eternal logic. Whereas other movies like The Expendables or, you know, The Fast and Furious, they kind of lean into being ridiculous. Right. Um, and all the while, you know, these movies are, you know, pumping out at like $150 million. And, you know, it doesn't really feel like um, there's um, a market for that right now. Like, I, you know, I, I don't know the last time, maybe it was like the John Wick 4. I mean, I think it had a budget around there. But, you know, I can't really think of, you know, too many kind of action movies that are, are filling that kind of niche. Yeah. Well, I can tell you what it felt like when the first... Mm. Uh, the first Mission Impossible came out. Like, that one was so cerebral. Like, action scenes were like an afterthought. And I really think that director was trying to say, or the producers were saying, you know, 007, you're about the corny British action. Well, here's what the Americans can do. Right. Um, We do, like, the smart cerebral like uh who can you trust the the mm. taylor dinker soldier spy type stuff right right and uh you know i don't know how that movie did but i i do know that the next 007 movie that came out did kind of bump up the difficulty of their plot just a teensy bit so maybe <laughs> right, just a little bit just a little like not not that you couldn't understand it but they at least they tried right and so and then there was a rumor going around that if your movie wasn't crazy explosion shotgun massive mountain falling then you weren't going to make money and so we got number two right with john woo with john woo and then number three tried to bring the class back with philip seymour hoffman uh was that three yeah yeah Was that that four i can't remember three it was three four was when they blew up the kremlin (laughs) yeah there was like no buildings to climb. Well, there was one. There was one building to parachute into. Right, right. I mean, the yeah, movie... they par- he, he parachutes yeah. out over something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he does like a pendulum thing. And then uh, the fourth one, I think they doubled down. They like doubled the buildings he climbs, doubled the <laughs> yeah. face masks. Yeah. And so, that, like, I just see a series like desperately trying to find. Um, like it's balance. Like, do we want to go super smart? Do we want to go like dumb violence? Right. Do we need more face masks? Do we need more mountains? Do we need more buildings? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. and and I mean, I I definitely see Mission Impossible One as almost the blueprint for a lot of those action movies that we got in the early two thousands into like the twenty tens. Um, yeah. You can definitely see its influence on things like the Born Identity um, movies, like um, you know the the fresher retakes of the Bond movies, yeah, um, the Manchurian Candidate, like these psychological kind of action thrillers, right? Um, and even like the like the some of the humor and stuff that happens in those movies. Um, you see kind of being copied is it's very like an early prototype for quote unquote the Marvel formula. Um there's a a bit in the second one um where the bad guy in it he is um like within their secret agent organization, he 
um, has a habit of going on missions and impersonating Ethan Hunt or whatever. And uh, when he has him captured or whatever, he's like, oh, I always hated impersonating you because you always had a that dumb smile on your face. You always had something smart to say. Or it's stuff like that. Like, you know, Ethan, especially in the, the, the first two, would always, you know, yeah. just crack a joke at a, a tense moment. And you're like, wow, Marvel formula? Right. Like the third one, um, mm. they tried to crack a joke where right. he had like X amount of bullets left. And oh, the, yeah. The damsel in distress, whoever that was, his, his agent friend was like, how do you know? Um, you can take them because I knew I had three bullets left, you know, and it's just like, oh, that is that is proto Marvel, my friend. Yeah, yeah, I I remember the the scene in in particular. He's got like a gun, and yeah. they're like under fire, and they're like, "Oh, I'm out of ammo. How much ammo do you have left?" He goes, he checks, and he goes, "Enough." And then he stands up and he shoots one bullet, and one shot, one kills the guy, and then he walks away. Like, oh yeah, that that mm, that definitely feels like, yep, that's classic that's Marvel. Classic Marvel. But you know that was happening in like 2010, right? Did that movie come out 2010? Uh, let's find out. Hold on. J.J. Abrams. No, J.J. Abrams, Mission Impossible 3, 2006. Oh, so... Yeah. Before. It's proto-Marvel. Yeah, you know, so Mission Impossible, the first one came out in 1996. Mission Impossible 2 came out in 2000. Oh, these movies had a habit of coming out six years apart. Mission Impossible right. came out in 96. Mission Impossible 2 was 2000. Mission Impossible 3 was 2006. And the Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol bucks the trend a little bit and comes out in 2011. Ooh, they saved a year. They they saved a year. Yeah. Another thing that was, like, trending in the 90s was mm. the ability of agents to go on a speeding train and fight the last fight. Uh, we had Speed do that um, with the famous line from Keanu is, like, you know, I'll always be better than you. And it's like, at least I'm taller. And then he pulls the guy up and his head falls off. Right, right. Um, and then, you know, they did it with Mission Impossible. And then they did it with Bond. So it's like... <laughs> right. Going on a train is was so big in the 90s. That maybe they just <laughs> got, like, a way to film it. Right, right. They figured it out. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely felt like a, a real left turn. Uh, especially in the first one, because... A lot of the the first part of that movie is, you know, Ethan Hunt trying to figure out like who he can trust, you know, who are the bad guys, can he even trust himself? And then, you know, at the last part he's just fighting a helicopter <laughs> in a train yeah. tunnel. Like what? Right. I I would venture to say if you can explain the first Mission Impossible in a way that I would understand with all the twists and all the turns and who has the list and who doesn't have the list. and Right. Also, that was before cloud computing, so all <laughs> the whole plot would go down the toilet, which is one upload to a cloud. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's pretty convoluted. And, I mean, I watched it, and then I immediately read the Wikipedia plot summary just to make sure that I understood everything that happened because it's exactly like you say like it it's like weird and it it you very it very much so you can't trust a narrator yeah almost like 
like they don't want you they wanted you so badly not to predict it that they overdid it a, just a little right right you know and that and, makes sense mm-hmm. espionage movies in the 90s it was a sin to be predictable <laughs> right right yeah you know i you know i always think of in the classic uh hunt for red october when they just switch from russian to english with no explanation you're like wait what <laughs> what did i miss yeah uh. and my favorite thing about that is in red hunt for red october um <laughs> it's not they didn't even tell like sean connery's character to even try and attempt like a russian accent they're just like you could just speak in your regular, you know, English accent <laughs> or Irish or whatever he is, Scottish. Yes. You can speak in your regular Scottish accent. We'll just everyone will pretend. <laughs> right. We'll just accept it. People will just accept it. Yeah. That movie was iconic. All I remember is like the slapping scene at the end. Give me the key. No slap. Give me the key. No slap. <laughs> and then and then Mad TV made uh a parody of it was an all women's cast fighting mm-hmm. over their PMS in a sub. Give me oh, the no. chocolate. No <laughs> slap. <laughs> That's a very mad TV pre- premise. Yeah. Uh, That's so funny. Yeah. It, it definitely, you know, compared to nowadays, it just feels like, you know, the nineties are such a, was such a lawless time for making movies. You could, you could just run into an office and say, hey, you know, I got a $50 million backer. You know, I'm going to have, you know, uh, I don't know, Daniel Day-Lewis, and he's going to be a baker. <laughs> and, yes. you know, a studio would greenlight it. Right. Like, I feel like like spy movies wanted to be very smart. Sure. And then they realized that the audience, which understandably you know, college students up to 40-year-old demographic, main mm. majority guys, um, you know, guys were like, no, you know, we don't, we don't want smart. We want the guy snowboarding while missiles are being shot off a, a mountain. And then, you know, those movies kind of ended. Like, we don't have, like, political thriller, like, stare-downs anymore. Right. Um, right now we have we have like we had triple x the return of xander um we had atomic blonde right right like i can't think of any movie where it's like you know where you can feel the political tension also with the espionage tension right right you know like don't get me wrong john wick perfect action movie but Mm -hmm. you know you wouldn't say that it's a political thriller no he does not have one conversation that changes <laughs> someone's mind. <laughs> right. They don't talk about the GDP of Japan. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, it definitely, I, I totally agree. It's, but it, it also feels like it's one of, of two extremes. It's either, you know, the triple X, you know, return of Xander or it's zero dark 30. And that's all it is. Right. It's just like, People behind right. a computer finding Osama bin Laden, and like that's the critical intrigue for like three hours. Or, or you get like, like you want to talk about government? Well, here's like true stories of how our government screwed up. <laughs> like you get Snowden. <laughs> like that's our espionage thriller. 
Right. And it's like, oh, okay, so now I have to feel bad about my country, and I get to see nerds on a computer. Great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm curious. I'm doing a quick Google search, but I, I wonder when the last, like, espionage thriller movie came out. I mean, maybe the Equalizer series. Uh, sure. I mean, that's more born identity, like, thuggery than anything right. else. Right, exactly. Um, I guess kind of that Netflix original movie, The Gray Man, yeah, came out earlier with Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. But I yeah. mean, I don't know. The thinking of that was very. They had like Russo brother stink all over it. Right, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You, you guys tell us what what was the most recent. You know. I mean... I remember seeing a poster with Tom Hanks, um, and it was like a Russian movie. Oh, Bridge of Spies? The Bridge of Spies. And I just, like, my brain put together that he was just on this that bridge trying to convince people not to cross it <laughs> for an hour and a half. Am I wrong? I don't know. I, no, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if you are. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah. no, it, it definitely feels like, yeah, it feels like those have kind of gone, gone away. It, it definitely felt like for a while, at least, there was like a, a, a summer, you know, a summer blockbuster that was, you know, of that nature. Mm-hmm. And you know, I feel between like the... the Bourne movies or, yeah. you know, a James Bond movie or, you know, uh, you know, something of that nature. Yeah, they tried to bring back Bourne. In a movie, and it was so like mid. Right. It was was like, like you could tell the director was bored and just checking things off the list, like ridiculous uh, driving scene. Check. Right. You know, weird double cross. Check. 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 Yeah, it was just. Yeah, it wasn't fun to watch at all. Right. Don't totally, totally agree, and. You know, we didn't even talk about maybe the the greatest spy thriller thriller of all, of course, being Agent Cody Banks. Uh, I thought it was going to be Johnny English. <laughs> I mean that, yeah. I mean those are <laughs> those are two very quality spy action films, <laughs> yes. and you know I think Rowan Atkinson needs to make a comeback. Uh, you know he made three of those Johnny Englishes. <laughs> the first one was good. Yeah, it was good. Second one had two laughable moments. Third one I can't even find, though I'm pretty sure I could get that movie for a nickel. <laughs> Straight to DVD. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. It's it. That's totally true. Uh. Yeah. I I love Rowan Atkinson. I love him in that in that that movie. And yeah, like it. It definitely even the the spy thriller. It really even, you know, it spawned, you know, a whole genre of film, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, out of it, you know, parodies of it, copies of it, you know, even what was that movie that came out pretty recently? I think it was like a, it's like an animated spy movie, but it was like for kids. Oh, Um, Um, oh, Spies in Disguise. Oh, I thought you were going to say Spy Kids. I mean, Spy Kids also. (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) Right. Um, but you know, that, that became like a, a genre in and of itself, right? Like, 
Um, yeah. and it, it definitely Actually, feels even like Minions a became a 007 parody. How did that right. happen? Right. I, you know, people want it, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, somebody, you, somebody somewhere you, said there was a market. Yeah. Well, you know, now they blurred the lines. Usually what you have is you had a movie that like dead serious, like reindeer games or, right. or, you know, you know, True that lies. One, yeah, one of those. And then Leslie Nielsen had to come in and make a parody <laughs> of that movie that was so stupid. And yeah, Leslie like, Nielsen used to be the only game in town. Yeah. And now everyone's blurred together. So you have a movie that's so stupid and trying to be so serious at the same time. Right. No, 100%. Totally agree. And yeah, no, now that, now that you mentioned it, yeah, it used to be, yeah, that Leslie Nielsen was, you know, pushing Police Academy and Spy uh, Hard. Spy Hard. And, um, Wow, what was the other one? Uh, shoot, he did. Um, he did the Fugitive, like a a very underrated parody of the Fugitive. I forget what it's called, but it's it's some of the best parody and physical comedy, and some of the the most idiotic uh, jokes you could find. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, it's such a it's such a shame because you know it, it definitely feels like that that genre and all subsequent genres have have kind of you know gone away and um and, right and you know they they've kind of they they've stepped off the big screen and now into retirement and you know. They've replaced kind of police procedural shows as now instead of political action right. thriller TV shows, and now it's now it, you know it just feels you know tame and everyday. Yeah, one of the trends I'm seeing on NBC is the trend of the older, wiser, not quite Forrest Whitaker, but very close uh, detective who has like a tragedy that happened to him right but also has like the special gift that is right. really helpful at solving murders right um, that's the 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 one i'm talking about is the irrational oh i was going to yeah. say the voice <laughs> the voice <laughs> sorry continue I mean, yeah irrational just came out and before that yeah. they had like the was it the bones bones one um, the one that uh, uh, Denzel Washington made a movie of, and they made a series. But oh, that yeah, just yeah. Seems to be like a trend. So, and you know, they all want to be that actor from Britain who played Bloodsport. Oh, Idris Elba. Yeah, they all want to be that. Like they're all trying to channel that energy, and like NBC is kind of hoping you don't mind that. I mean, they still these are great actors, and I'm sure they have they have a wonderful, like these are enjoyable shows. Sure, um, but I see this trend kind of happening. Yeah, no, totally, totally agree. Also, Adam, um, mm. while we're on bunny trails, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 a thousand degrees from what we were talking about. Um, so I've been watching 
I'm like the world is all about Netflix exclusives and Hulu exclusives, right, and what have and you, HBO exclusives, right? right? So you watch them, right? And you know mm-hmm. they're gritty, they're dark. There's f bombs, there's heads flying off, there's you know what have you. It's serious as a heart attack, right? Right. And then you watch a show that's like on basic cable, like an NBC show, like Irrational Man or something, and you're like. You're watching this and you're like, is this made for children? Like, this feels so tame compared to, like, this feels like the skim and milk of. Yeah. And it's just so weird that, like, there, if you go to basic cable, you have, like, this very tame show. But right. The minute you put the word exclusive and put it behind a $10 a month subscription wall, you go just, you go ape crazy. Right, right, and it's it's almost it's almost shocking. You're like, oh wait, what? <laughs> it's surprising. Right. Like I, um, do you know the TV show Longmire? Yes. So it's on Netflix, and I've been making my way through it just on my my spare time. It's like a, a pretty run of the mill kind of police procedural. He's a sheriff mm-hmm. in a small town, but this small town sees like the amount of crime that you know Chicago sees. Yeah. Um, and it's rated TVMA, but they don't even show people getting murdered. <laughs> like it cuts away, and I'm like, "This is TVMA. They don't swear, right? You know, no one, no one gets naked. There's like, there's violence, but it's like, you know, four right. o'clock in the afternoon NCIS violence, right? And it's TVMA, and I was like, "Oh, wait, what? <laughs> Let's, you know, I thought there was gonna be, you know, some mutilation or something, right?" Or uh, another great example is watching, uh, what is it? It's not CSI. It's the other murder show with all the psychopaths. Oh, Criminal Minds? Criminal Minds. Watching Criminal Minds on CBS until you get to, like, the the exclusive Made for Paramount season. Yeah. Like, we want to show you all the decapitations, brains falling out. The stuff we couldn't show you. Yeah, we wanted to show you everything. <laughs> yeah. They they really went off the deep end. Like, I don't know, it's just so weird. There's something about the word exclusive taped to a show that <laughs> like makes the makes the director wanna say like, all right, um I'm not gonna put an eraser to the script. Like Right. It's your fault for having children. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, and you know, to me, like the first time I really kind of understood what, you know, TVMA Netflix meant was I was watching, you know, the first season of Daredevil and, you know, there's a bit where, you know, uh, you know, Charlie Cox's character, Daredevil, you know, as a kid He's like stitching up his dad in the in the living room mm-hmm. and they just they don't cut away. They yeah. just show this like eight year old kid stitching up his dad in their kitchen. Just like they mm-hmm. they show the whole procedure and I was like, Oh, uh, okay, this is this is it. This is this is the future. Right. And that's uh well I don't know how much Disney had in, in on that, but I mean, they that was pre-Disney. Yeah, yeah, right, right. They had to know um, that Disney was watching over their shoulder. So. Right, right. 
And, you know, they did some pretty violent things on that show. A lot of violent things, especially in Punisher yeah. and things. But, you know, it, it's funny to see, you know, the, 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 the real difference. Right. Which makes me think that, like, when someone writes a script for a show. Right. Like, it's really, like, M-rated, M-A-rated, like... And then, like, the basic cable gets a hold of it, and they just put an, a huge eraser to half of it. And then you <laughs> see the director, like, throwing furniture around. How could they? <laughs> right, right. I deserve to be <laughs> vicious and savage. <laughs> right, right. I know, I totally agree. And I, I don't know, there, there's some shows that I think get it right, where... Um, they don't lean too far one way or another. Right. Um, like Daredevil. You know, yeah, like Daredevil, yeah. I think, really nails it. I think Punisher goes a little bit too far into the, you know, the violence category. But mm-hmm. understandably, within the context of the character, like, okay, like, I understand. But then you'll have stuff where it's just, like, unnecessarily violent. And you're like, yes. <laughs> like, wait, what? Just because you have a TV MA rating? does not mean that you have to show us you know this guy getting disemboweled or yeah like dexter like yeah dexter uh, i understand that the guy is into bloodless mutilation right do you really have to go back to the strip club for the eighth time in a row (laughs) right exactly (laughs) exactly um yeah (laughs) yeah or or shows that um, are trying to portray themselves as harder, but it just seems like very PG thirteen e, you know. Um, right. You know, the, I can't think of anything better, a better example than you know Captain America: Winter Soldier. Like that movie didn't shy away from you know violence. It didn't shy away from anything, but it felt perfectly within like a PG thirteen rating. Whereas opposed to, um, you know, the uh, the Black Widow movie, where it just felt like it was trying too hard to be PG-13, you know what I mean? Where it just felt kind of hokey, and it didn't feel real. Yeah. And fake. Yeah, you know, I read an article on Crack.com about how, because we have CGI now, we can make such weird physics and violence choices and not think about them. Right. And then one of their examples is in the Winter Soldier when the Winter Soldier, like, I don't know, he uppercutted a guy and he went through the blade of, like, a helicopter yeah. thing. And they're like, they they didn't even think about how the fact that he straight up just murdered a dude Mortal Kombat style. They just thought, we have the CGI to do it. Right. Like if you were using real actors and trying to do portrayals in a in a movie, you wouldn't say, well, you know, what's a practical effect? You know, going through a helicopter blade. You know. But now that we can do it and Disney knows how to make it bloodless, you know, sleepy bullets. Um you know, why not? Why not? Yeah, no, I I totally, I totally get. Is that is that in Winter Soldier? I can't remember that. I, they, I'm sure it was. Maybe it was. Was that Civil War? Oh, whatever. I think it was Winter Soldier. Uh, I read that in an article. Sure, sure, sure. So I'm just trying to picture. I can't picture the the scene. I believe you, but I can't. I can't. Right. Picture, it's been so long. Um, I, I kind of want to put it in slow motion and see. Do I see any <laughs> blood? 
Do I see right. any guts? Well, I mean, I, I think a, a really good example recently is in the most recent Black Panther movie where Shuri gets freaking impaled on a piece of metal. And <laughs> for for no other reason than for a, an audience reaction, but there's, like, no blood. <laughs> like, she gets full-on impaled and, you know, pulls herself off of it, and she's totally fine. Right. It's it's like Marvel has like numb organs effect, <laughs> right? Which and it happens in Thor and Love and Thunder. Um, who was it? It wasn't it wasn't the um, Natalie Portman character, but the other female. I think it was Valkyrie. She yeah. got straight up impaled, and yeah, and then like it, they just did like a cut scene, like they did a. They just and she's like in the hospital, yeah. like up, and she's all cheery and like, ooh, you know. So <laughs> I guess everyone, like, if you're a god or if you're a superhero, your your guts don't equate yeah. the quality of life. For sure, for sure. And I mean, it, it definitely has in recent years become, you know, definitely a, a problem where protagonists can just, you know, you take. Dominic Toretto, right? He launches himself across a freeway, right. catches somebody, and slams into a car at you know ninety-five miles an hour, and gets up and walks away. Right. Or you know you have, you know John Wick gets shot and he falls off a you know a ten-story building, and he's you know he's fine. Um, and you know those are just kind of tropes that we just kind of accept. And yes. Yeah. And you know, you, you sometimes they come out with articles, mm. like you know, okay, if you, you know, cover your ears if you haven't seen the last episode of Secret Invasion right now. Okay, <laughs> ready? But there's yeah. a scene where uh, Nick Fury is like doing trank darts into everyone, right? And what they don't tell you about trank darts is like you either get the formula like a hundred percent right, and you you adapt it to how much the person weighs. Or that right. person's going to be like in a wheelchair for the rest of their life, <laughs> right? Or in a coma, or yeah, or just dead. And right. here he is; he's like putting like eight different guys to sleep of different height and size, and like yeah, <laughs> half of them are in comas. Yep. Yeah, they're yeah, half of them are in comas; the other half are dead. Yeah. <laughs> totally. But in the Marvel universe, you just go sleepy for a few seconds. <laughs> that and a punch to the head just makes you go sleep. Right, that's that's one of my biggest pet peeves is when people are like engaged in a fight, mm-hmm. and someone just gets roundhouse kicked to the head as hard as possible, and they just right. get up and they're like, "Oh, I'm just getting started." I'm like, "No, you need to go to the hospital. <laughs> like you, you are gonna be in a coma." <laughs> the fact that you said I'm just getting started is signs that you're in a you're having a, a concussion, sir. You yeah, immediately so. have CTE. Like, it's... Yeah. <laughs> you have no options. Um, or, yeah, or the, the well, like, the well-timed punch that makes the guy fall asleep for, like, six hours, eight hours. And <laughs> right. They, they say anything that makes you black out for longer than ten seconds means instant brain damage. <laughs> so Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, these guys, like, leveraging in a, a, a sleeper hold for, like, ten, ten minutes. Yeah, you're shutting off oxygen to their brain, or you're making their brain like tap against the skull. That's what a blackout is. 
And that's only supposed to bring you out for like three to five seconds. Right. Not like a whole day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or uh, I also love um, how the movies will try to explain something away with like vague technology. Like yeah. in The Dark Knight Rises, where Batman's like, oh, my knees are getting bad. And he just has like a magical knee brace that helps him absorb impacts. You're like, wait, what? what? He, just, he just has a magic science knee brace that repairs his ACL. Yeah. And and he has a, a secret button that turns off people's cameras. <laughs> right. I don't know how that works. Magic. Yeah. It's it's all magic. But we, we just accept it, right? Right. Like even you know, even if you got shot with a bulletproof vest on, you would still like break a rib. Like it's yeah. not fun. You'd be out. Like there's no such thing as like I can take six more of these. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And you know, we haven't even gotten into like the you know, the the DC, you know, craziness. Right. You know, you know, Batman, you know, I don't kill people. And then, like, you know, <laughs> right. shoots people with rubber bullets from a massive cannon <laughs> in his Batmobile. Or or the fact that his, like, his Batmobile has an intimidation missile. Right. <laughs> how, how do you plan for that? Like, oh, I just want to intimidate them, so I'm going to shoot a missile in a crowded crowd. <laughs> right. Or I always think of in the Arkham games where he's, like, interrogating someone and he, like, threatens to run over their head with a car. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Right. You're just like, what? <laughs> in what world is he just fine? They're just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody, uh, it was one of those funny videos online. They just did, like, a, a kill counter for every person that Batman would kill in the Arkham Knight trailer alone. And right. the, the count was, like, into the hundreds. <laughs> like, right. Of this man got his head smashed into, like, a, you know, the, the, the fuse box and just gets electrocuted with the house equivalent of electricity. And he's right. just unconscious. Like, no, he's he's dead. Yeah. That guy's dead. Sleepy time. Sleep Dead. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I, I just really want a realistic action movie or a guy gets shot with a bulletproof vest and says, I'm good. I'm, yeah. I'm going to go home. Yeah, like, this was intended for one bullet, and then I, I should I should back out of this. <laughs> right, right. You know, well, or the, or there's a sword fight, and they get slashed on their face, and they just, like, lick the blood. You're like, ah, now you've done it. You're like, no, you need stitches. <laughs> right, right. Well, Adam, mm. so... When CGI came out, right, right, the, the idea of pinball fighting, where <laughs> the the hero who's now right. a CGI can just be like knocked around and he right. can knock others around, um, mm-hmm. became a big thing. Uh, the Matrix, the the second Matrix, um, where he fights all those Smiths, an, yeah. an unbeatable yeah. man fights an unkillable monster, and. <laughs> Yeah, there's cool kicks and cool punches, but none of it relates to anything. Nothing changes it at all. Right, right. Um, totally. Like, and those those things bore the crap out of me. Like the the Final Fantasy Advent Children movie. 
his like super powered Gokus, like all shooting each other at point blank, and no one's feeling any pain, no one's reacting, no one's uh, no one's saying, Oh, wow, wow, that I, I could lose if you keep doing that. It's more like, No, no, I just want to, you know, keep shooting you in the face, and so. Right. Like, those just bore the crap out of me, like, when mm. you have just a bunch of Gokus just hitting each other with no effect. Right. It's actually the opposite of what makes pro wrestling fun, is seeing another person sell and attack and, like, ah, get yeah. weaker right. is actually what makes it exciting. Right. No, 100%. And it definitely feels like people either go to one extreme or the other. It's either people no-sell yeah. stuff, or it goes you know, just Commando or Delta Force where someone gets, you know, there's a grenade that blows up in a, a massive 40-ton nuclear explosion right. from a little grenade, and the guy does, you know, a front flip off a, a porch onto a pile of mulch, and then right. that pile of mulch explodes, and he does another front flip off of that. <laughs> like, like, there's no there's no in-between. Right, right. But, you know, the one thing that super intrigued me, what I loved about mm-hmm. the original Born Identity movies, mm-hmm. is that, like, each choreographed move resulted in, like, there was danger on both sides. So, yeah, you know, 100%. when that guy jumped through the window, and, like, Born had to do a fist-to-fist fight with him. Yeah, sick. And, you know, each move, like resulted in him stabbing him with a pen or like like right shooting him in the neck and you, like right. you could feel like oh if he keeps doing that he'll die right right you know? and so real. those kind of fights are like i am with you a hundred percent they're slower yeah. but like each move means something right no i i totally agree and yeah. I, I mean you could really probably count on you know your fingers how many movies are are actually like that? You know, yeah, most are are one way or the other, and right. Um, you know, I and not that there's anything wrong with that. I think there are a ton of movies that have exaggerated action that are, you know, people would say are top fifty movies of all time. You know, stuff like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or uh, you know, like John the John Wick movies, or you know, Saving Private Ryan. Like those those movies have exaggerated action, but mm-hmm. it's it's it has a point. There's a purpose, right? I mean, Saving Private Ryan puts you on edge because you were like, "Who's gonna die next?" Right, and it better not be Vin Diesel. <laughs> and then it is Vin Diesel. And then it is Vin Diesel. Spoiler, sorry. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, no, it 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 definitely does. It it feels like. You know, it, it's been a while since something's come out. I mean, I, I will say that John Wick does a pretty good job of that. Like, you, you, especially in the most recent one where you just, you feel how, you know, how much pain he's in. There's yeah. a sequence in the fourth one where he has to, like, he fights his way up this, like, really steep hill, up this flight of stairs, and he gets, like, mm-hmm. almost to the top. And then somebody, like, throws him all the way down the set of stairs. And he has oh. to fight his way back up the same set of stairs again. And right. it's like, oh, it just, you know, he is Sisyphus, right? Like, that's just, yeah. like, you just feel that pain. But also at the same time, John Wick should have died. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, the latest Bond movie had something where he goes up a single, I don't think it was like a one camera type deal, but you see mm. him 
going upstairs and just like bad guys are coming out Call of Duty style and he just has to uh, you know he has to like take them out one by one right right and it's just yeah it's just a lot um, yeah so you know long story short you know thanks Mission Impossible you gave us all that right um, there's actually you know speaking of wonders there's a, actually a pretty sick one in uh, Mission Impossible 3 there's a bit where you just get like 45 seconds of Tom Cruise doing the best run in cinema history just through right. this, you know, Chinese market. And it's literally just him running <laughs> at a medium distance. And it's just That's him running. Checklist. Yeah. And it's it's sick. <laughs> it's so good. But I'm like, you know, Tom, you know, Tom Cruise has, you know, the best right. run in all of cinema. There's nobody even close. Right. And if Leslie Nielsen was still alive, they would try to make a parody of that run. And we're getting ripped off. We are getting ripped up. Yeah. It's his back is so straight. Right. And you know, they teased you with the run in that movie because there's mm. when he was getting out of uh when they were breaking out Philip Seymour Hoffman, he starts running and then someone shoots a missile and blows him into the side of a car and they're like, Oh, he <laughs> yeah. thought he was gonna run, but he didn't. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was crazy. Like yeah. This man survived a sidewinder missile that exploded five feet away from him. Not only did he, mm-hmm. he you know, survive the bomb blast, but he survived the impact with a car that should have shattered his spine. Right, right. He had a bulletproof vest. He really does, right? <laughs> that's 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 right. what he has. Um, man, maybe maybe that's we we should do an episode on that in the future. About maybe uh, actors and what they're best known for. Right, right. You know, you know, Tom Cruise. It's it's the run. Yeah, it's the run, and it's the laugh. Uh, oh yeah, the weird smile. Yeah, which makes me wonder: were those two things in the Dark Universe movie, The Mummy? Because if they were not, I know why it failed. Now, I. I actually, I didn't, I didn't see it, so I don't know. Yeah, neither did I. I just remember where he's, I don't know, he's on a plane fighting a mummy. (laughs) Right, right. That's that's the only scene I know. Hey, you could have taken that and said, this is, this is for Mission Impossible, and I'd believe you. Yeah. You know, the Mission Impossible where he fights that mummy that comes back from the dead. You're like, yeah, 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 I think that was the fourth one. Right. With, with the ghost? ghost? Protoc- yeah, Ghost Protocol. Yeah. <laughs> that seems right. Yeah. Well, so Adam, good. speaking of ghosts, such a segue. <laughs> um, it's fall. It's Halloween. It's it's Ooh, so woo. much. Spooky it's warm season. cider and warm donuts and mm-hmm. um you're you're either gonna win you over with the, the Spooks and haunts, like my my three year old son is obsessed with zombies and mm-hmm. vampires, and we haven't told them what they do in lore. He just thinks they exist to be creepy, right? Or you're you're gonna get into your UGG boots, wrap yourself in a fleece, <laughs> and sit by a fire while drinking some cider, while someone right. writes love letters to you. Exactly. 
you know, it's it's that time of year, and you know, as a as a man that's a a, a proud Northeasterner and who owns a a black cat as a pet, you know, fall fall is you know fall's my season, man. I love fall. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I really do believe that fall has you know the best movies that are themed around it, whether it's Halloween themed or the color palette, whatever it is. You know, fall right. movies are just the best. I mean, yeah, there's something about those reds, yellows, and oranges that just make you feel all, you know, warm and tingly inside. Right, right. Even the weather is telling you, go inside and watch yeah. a movie. Right. So I think it's best if you share your five favorite fall slash horror movies, and I'll share mine. Awesome. Well, I mean, I, I'm going to start out... Um, with you know some might say it's a little basic but you know it i think it's the standard by which every great fall movie should be measured by and it's the great pumpkin charlie brown uh you know mm-hmm. it you know it's it's only 25 minutes i i would say it's a movie i don't know it's on a, it's got a dvd but to to me like it's everything that um a fall movie is right it's right. it's about Halloween. It's about pumpkins. It's about you know ghost costumes and randomly just fighting the Red Baron. It's fine, right. um, and you know it's 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 incredible. Like it to the to the point, and uh, you know it, it's not the sole reason. I have a ghost tattoo. I have a a tattoo on my right uh, forearm that's like a it looks like a ghost in a sheet. So you know it. Very iconically from, you know, the great pumpkin Charlie Brown. They all dress up as ghosts, and mm-hmm. you know, for several years I dressed up as Charlie Brown's ghost. Right when he like tries to cut eye holes, and there's like too many holes in it. Um, yeah. That's been a, a staple Halloween costume for me for a couple years. Um, yeah, that that movie's just iconic. It's it's great. I mean, every red blooded American has seen it, and to me, it just screams fall. Ah, that is that is a great movie, and also very uh, leaves you on a cliffhanger because do we ever find out if the Great Pumpkin <laughs> exists? You know, I I I don't I don't know. Maybe maybe in subsequent ones, maybe they do. But I, I like to think it's more about the idea that the the Great Pumpkin exists in Linus's heart. Yes, because maybe just maybe Halloween is something more. Right, right. I also love the the idea of a man that has such a great grasp of the Christmas story also believes in the Great Pumpkin. Right. It's he was like he was like a hundred percent historical authenticity for Christmas, and then you know Halloween. His parents totally trolled him. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Like he. You know, he's got a great theological grasp on the meaning of Christmas. And he also believes that a giant pumpkin comes to life every Christmas, every Halloween. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, to, to me, that just screams Halloween. And it's it's it screams Christmas or Christmas. It screams um, fall. And, you know, t- to me, it, it's the, the measuring stick for you know, all the, uh, the, the subsequent ones I'm going to talk about. Yeah. 
and I'm glad you went right into you went into the child, like the yeah. heart of the child, and it kind of makes me sad because I remember I was I was always into the Thanksgiving Garfield yeah. series, which was back when it was cool to celebrate Thanksgiving with a cartoon, right? You know, um, so you know Garfield used to he would wake up and he'd go on the farm and then he would see what life was like on a Thanksgiving on the farm. Right. And I always remember the way they drew that, that Turkey looked amazing. Like, <laughs> yeah, it probably like was like the reason I think that all cartoon turkeys would look amazing because of this Garfield episode. Right. Right. Totally, totally agree. Okay. Well, my well, yeah, what's your first one? one? Movie, um, this was an oldie and a goodie, and it it also let me know how far you could go in a PG movie. Oh, um, when I saw Casper, ooh, the I believe it was nineteen ninety two, maybe ninety three. Um, it was a very clever movie for being Casper, like, like the. Hunky Dory Casper deserves this kind of cleverness. Like it had, um, it had good actors and actresses in it. It had some jokes that probably went over my head. It had some PG thirteen language that I'm not sure how it got past the censors. Um, it was the early nineties. Yeah, it had themes of resurrection and being able to bring someone back from the dead. Mm. And like. I don't know, like, Casper just, like, really... The, whoever was in charge... I like to think that the person who made Casper w- did it in the same spirit and artistic vision that uh, Greta Gerwig did with Barbie. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's a, I think that's a, a fair assessment. Especially for the, the time period, it definitely... Yeah, they, they took some risks. Yeah, I mean, they totally could have kitted it up, you know, just made it about helping your friends share and, you know, added things that only like five and six and eight year olds would have understood. But they totally like they they got the adults involved and the kids. And they made it like a Ghostbuster reference. They they dressed up someone as a Ghostbuster trying to. To get rid of the ghosts in the house. And then the ghost pusher comes out and says, who are you going to call? Somebody else. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it, it's it's great. Um, who, what's the, uh, what's the cast for that movie? Uh, well, it's got Christina Ricci. Mm-hmm. Who, like, I'll always remember, like, oh, she's so cool. She's so, you know, she's, she's the hip teen. You don't mess with her. <laughs> um, it's got Bill Pullman oh, before wow. he became president. Right, uh, right. Maybe he was just thinking about it. Right, um, right. I don't know if anyone knows Kathy Moriarty. Uh, she was in Raging Bull. And mm-hmm. Eric Idle, which is, of course, Monty Python. So, right, right. Good, solid good on you. Good, good on you. Um, yeah, no, this is, yeah, it's, it's a very solid, um, very solid movie. Yeah, it, it definitely feels, um, 
it's a very good like 90s movie right like it's you know just you know it's got the it's at the 90 minute mark right not too long not too short and you know the 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 cg effects are are good you know they do a lot of practical effects and it's yeah it's it's solid Mm -hmm. and then like the ps1 saturn and 3do came out with like a video game based off of it and I have to say, those graphics, ever since seeing them in a magazine, made me want to say, uh, you know, I want to really want to try that game. You know, Casper is a rising tide and all ships are floating. <laughs> right, right. Yes. Oh, totally. J.J. Abrams was supposed to do a rewrite of the script. He did an uncredited rewrite of the script. Oh, OK. And he gave a backstory to Casper. Oh, what was his backstory? Oh, well, he was a boy who died of pneumonia at 12. Oh, that's that's really sad. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, we're talking about a ghost here. You got to talk about how he died. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess I <laughs> I guess I never really put the two and two together. <laughs> a lot of people think, you know, the theory out there is that Richie Rich because that was a cartoon that played mm. alongside of it. Right. Um he he's the he's the rich kid who died and becomes Casper. Oh no! Which is on <laughs> his own mansion. Oh, that's so sad. Sad, uh, but I want to see that. That's <laughs> that's a that's quite a fan theory. Yeah. Oh man, mm. this is the first feature film to have a fully CGI character in a leading role. So, oh wow! Hey, look at that. Yeah. The more I you mean, know. Casper. Who thought Casper was going to do all this? Who'd have thunk? Oh, man. Okay. Uh, shall I jump right into yeah. my next one? Yeah. Um, Mike, we're taking a bit of a, a left field, uh, a left turn um, out of right field. Um, and one of my favorite romantic comedies of all time, When Harry Met Sally. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, that movie, if that movie doesn't make you want to go to New York City in the fall, I don't know what will. I mean, just right. the, all the, the scenic shots of them in, you know, walking down, you know, walking down the street, walking through Central Park, wearing cable net sweaters. You know, right. it just it just screams cozy to me. And, you know, there's, you know, a bunch of famous shots of them in Central Park you know, walking through, you know, sitting on benches, talking. And, yeah, it, it just screams. It's just everything that you want from the Northeast. And, um, yeah, they just, they they nail the, the you know, the, the, the color palette and the cinematography. And, you know, they even eat a delicious warm sandwich and probably some matzo ball soup at Katz's Deli. And yeah, so when Harry met Sally, if you haven't seen this movie yet, I, what are you doing listening to this podcast? Uh, you clearly don't love movies enough. Go watch this right now. Pause, pause what you're, pause this podcast and go watch when Harry met Sally. Do yourself a favor. Yeah. And yeah, this movie just screams fall to me. Right. Also, another great movie that was parodied by Mad TV. <laughs> When Harry met Shamu. Or no, when Harry met Willie. It was about oh. falling in love with a whale. Beautiful. Yes. But 
you know, here's a fun. If you haven't seen this movie yet, uh, go on YouTube. Do um, do the Harry Met Sally dining diner scene. Yeah. And then invite your parents into the room. Iconic. I mean, to be fair, if you do that and your parents walk into the room, your parents will know already. They've seen it. They're probably the ones trolling you. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. I mean, yeah, that the movie's iconic and yeah, it's one of the it's on it's gotta be on the Mount Rushmore romantic comedies, right? Right. Right. You know, I always get that one mixed up with Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah, I mean, there's like three of them, right? It's like Sleep in Seattle, When Harry Met Sally, and like You Got Mail. They're all kind of the same. Right, right. One of them has where Billy Crystal used lights. Or was it Billy Crystal? He used like the lights on a building to make a heart. And that, <laughs> yeah. That, that was an iconic scene. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, really great. Um, yeah. Peak fall vibes. Mm hmm. Uh, now this next movie, ooh, uh, the all the ratings said you know, don't don't invest. It's not as good as the movie that formed it. But when Lynn and I saw it, we're like, no, no, this is a solid movie. And I'm talking about Stephen King's Doctor Sleep. Ooh, nice, nice. Now, now this movie doesn't really make you want to cozy up with cider and donuts as much as it wants you to get into rehab right away. Um, because it's about, oh man, I'm going to get all the characters from Stephen King's Shining wrong, but yeah, it's about the son, um, of the, of the Jack Nicholson father from the Mm -hmm. original growing up, becoming a drug addict, um, like stealing money from, uh, kids basically, uh, and, but also having like the secret power that can capture like demons that try to haunt him at night. So, right. Uh, I thought I read parts of the book and I wasn't interested in the book, but we did see the movie. And I think the movie did a really good job about that. I'm trying to get the names. Um, so Dan Torrance. Yeah. So, you know, Dan Torrance is the son of the Jack Nicholson guy you know here's johnny and he's living his life like haunted by literal ghosts uh became an alcoholic uh in the book he's using a lot harder drugs but the movie decided to use just alcohol right um he gets this job where he helps people go to sleep like rest um he works at a hospice and meanwhile this coven i want to say this bunch of witches um or like just these these crazy people who use dark magic led by this woman who's called rose the hat and she got her name because she has a hat that doesn't fall off not the best naming but um they're trying to they're trying to find these kids who have the shining power and they extract it from them by killing them and it makes them young and there's this young girl that uh, named Rose, or I'm sorry, named Abra, uh, who has this power like super strong. And so Dan Torrance has to protect her. Uh, and it it was a good movie. And and the doctor, and the book is supposed to be different from the movie and the book. 
they originally blew up the house so in the book he doesn't go back to the house but in the movie he has to go back to the original mansion where the first shining happened so mm. there was some there was some definite like if you're a fan of the book you can you could hate the movie or if you love the movie you can hate the book so but right, Lynn and right. I we really enjoyed it and it does make you feel kind of like in the fall mood because Everything's dying, including the trees in the atmosphere. <laughs> Everything's dying. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, yeah, no, Stephen King, I, I feel like is um all his books either take place, you know, right right in that like spooky the spookiest time of year, right? Right when it's, you know, almost you know, like it's almost winter, not quite winter. Or yeah. like in the middle of like summer in or Maine, a winter so dead nothing can live. <laughs> right, right. Just the right. the worst times of year. Right. Yeah, and one thing I realized is that Pet Cemetery came out that year, the remake. Yeah, and that movie got 113 million compared to Doctor Sleep, which only got 72 million. Yeah, well, I and think I, Doctor was Doctor Sleep a, an Apple TV. A, a Doctor Sleep was a theatrical release, but okay, I think okay. it, it got really pooped on. Like, I remember yeah. people saying, "Oh, it's you know, it doesn't it doesn't honor the series." Like, even Stephen King didn't like it. Hmm. You know, and right, right. I don't know. I enjoyed it, and you know i guess people say oh you know it and pet cemetery are originals and not sequels so let's give that our money right right no totally um yeah the, it's you know such a shame i mean the, the original the original is so yeah so great um oh wait shall i shall i get into yeah, my number 3 my, my number 3 my number 3 and i hope i hope i'm not stealing it from you, but this is Probably in my top on my Mount Rushmore of Disney movies. Oh Coco. no! Did I take one? Oh no, Coco! Wait, you said Coco? Yes. Okay, Coco's good. Okay, good, good. I didn't okay. take it from you. Um, but Coco, it's it's on my Mount Rushmore of, you know, of of Disney movies. I mean, you you laugh, you cry. The music is beautiful. Um. You know, it, it's cool because you know it's a it's a fall movie, and it's but it's not like a Halloween movie. Obviously, you know it celebrates the Mexican holiday of the Day of the Dead. Um, yeah, and it it's yeah the, the movie is beautiful. The animation is stunning. That bridge between um, you know the the land of the living, the land of the dead. You know, peak fall colors. Um, yeah, it's it, it's just. Yeah, the movie's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the music is haunting. Um, yeah, and it's you know, at the end of the day, it's a story about family, and mm-hmm. um, it's it's just beautiful. Um, yeah, I, I can't say enough. If you haven't seen Coco yet, what are you doing? Um, but yeah, to me, like this is the movie that you watch with you and your your extended family. Like you've gone out to you know to pick some pumpkins or some apples. You come home and mom's made you know a, a big old batch of chili in a slow cooker and you guys are all sitting around in the living room and you're just watching coco right like that's that's what that movie feels like to me it's a big warm hug right i remember when coco came out 
and I must have blinked because when my eyes opened, Encanto came out, and I yeah, said, no. "Wasn't there a wasn't there a second Spanish movie?" And you know, it had skeletons, and, no, and then I said, "No, I'm thinking of Corpse Bride." <laughs> so, and I'm I'm sad I missed it because when I heard one of the songs, I've only heard like the music from it. So I heard yeah. Un Poco Loco. Yeah. Um, I I was like, I really like this song. I think I like it better than We Don't Talk About Bruno. <laughs> no, hundred percent. No, yeah. it's it's so great. Yeah, the the movies. I, have you have you seen it, Mike? No, I've I've always wanted to. See, it's one of those things that's like in the back of your brain that your yeah. brain says you want to have a good two hours. We'll do this, and then I say right. no, no. I'd rather be on Facebook looking at memes. Well, Mike, do you and your family a favor. Watch this movie; you guys will love it. It's if it's a fall movie, sure. Yeah, you got to do it. It's it's so great, um, heartwarming, funny. Um, the voice acting is brilliant. The the young the the kid the the voice actor for the kid, he's he's great. He's wonderful. Got a great singing voice. Um, yeah, it's it's just beautiful. It's great. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the few Disney movies that I've actually cried. Ooh, ooh, that's saying something. Yeah, it's 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 just great. It's it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm trying to remember. There there was another Day of the Dead movie that came came out before that. I think it was called The Book of Life. Something like and that. Like, that one just kind of just existed. Mm. And I feel like like Disney said. Well, you know, how dare they pick a culture and uh, before we did, let's show them guys. And then they came out with Coco. Right. Everyone away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Coco's great. It's great. So my third movie Mm. um, is not a horror movie. Ooh. And when it when it popped up, I looked at a list of best fall movies, and it popped up, and I'm like, yeah, that is a fall movie. It makes me feel, it, it you know, it's one of those, like, you and your family and your extended family go into this big BRB um, that's outside of Cape Cod, and you just eat food all day and play, like, football outside. Right. Kind of feeling to it. Sure, sure. And that is the movie Dan in Real Life. Yeah. Yeah. Dan in Real Life with Michael Scott. Um, himself. Yeah, as himself. No, uh, Dan in Real Life, yeah, it, it's got like a lot of subtle humor to it. Mm. And it doesn't like, re- it doesn't like rely on the silliness of. Oh my gosh, I still think his name is Michael Scott. What's the actor's name? Steve Carell. Steve Carell, yeah. It doesn't rely on Steve Carell's silliness to save it. It It's like steeped in reality, and it's like very heartfelt. It's about a man trying to raise his daughters mm-hmm. and just trying to get through, like, while raising them, trying to deal with his own heartbreak of losing his wife. Yeah. But also kind of dealing with his family in this in this cottage. And it's just, I don't know, it, it grabs you by the heart. And, like, if there is humor, it's very, like, subtle. 
Yeah. Like definitely no uh Bruce Almighty silliness. <laughs> right. And Steve right. Carell. And uh, you know, I appreciated that. Like it's it's kind of like jazz. It was it's it was the notes Steve Carell were not playing that made it so good. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And um yeah, it it, it it's it's one of those movies where if you go into it just, you know, casually and being like, yeah, I wonder what this is about. I'm curious about Steve Carell. You know, the the cast is pretty interesting. I think Emily Blunt is in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, well, I'll give this a shot. I feel like you're going to be really pleasantly surprised. And yeah, I think it really shows, you know, Steve Carell's range. Mm-hmm. Right. And just I just love the subtle line when uh he's really bitter about his brother dating a girl he loves. And mm-hmm. the brother says Dane Cook is Dane Cook the brother? Yeah, I think so, yes. Yeah. Dane Cook they actually make yeah. Jane Dane Cook enjoyable to watch, so that's hard. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. So but there's that scene where he's like, Oh, your voice is like an angel and then like Steve Carell says he's eating corn, he's like, This corn is like an angel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just that that line is stuck in my head forever. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliant timing yeah. and Yeah, it, it 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 captures a lot of the um it kind of captures the uh I think a lot of emotions that people kind of feel at this time of year, right? Like there's mm-hmm. um there's a for some people there's just a, a certain kind of like melancholy for fall right this idea of things ending of of seasonal change i think it's definitely one of the most dramatic season changes right um and yeah and you know coupled with the cold and the the rain yeah this definitely is a movie you know that you you'll watch with a, a significant other if you really want to impress them mhm you're like, oh, you're not just a guy that'll take me to watch Fast and the Furious 10. Mm-hmm. You got heart. <laughs> right. You know, as much as I love the espionage superhero sci-fi, mm-hmm. you know, these these real-life, grounded-in-reality, grab-you-at-the-heartstring movies, they just give you, they give you a left hook out of nowhere, and you're like, wow. I, I think I love non-action movies. <laughs> don't tell anybody, okay? I don't want to lose my street cred. Right, right. Like just I this this movie's going to be under my bed. <laughs> oh man. Okay, shall I get into my fourth one? Please. Oh, Mike. This one this one is uh, a personal favorite. One I I love um definitely a, a cult favorite. Um, I, and it's such a shame that this movie isn't as well received critically, but Hocus Pocus, man, I oh, yeah. love that movie. I mean, it's, it's got quite the cast, right? It's got Sarah Jessica Parker, Bette Midler, mm-hmm. um, and you know, they, they deliver on that front. Um, but it's, it, it just screams like a, a nineties childhood to me, right? Like it's. It was, like, just spooky enough that I was like, oh, yeah, this feels like Halloween. You know, I felt kind of, like, you know, naughty because, like, you know, the you know, I was only allowed to 
no, actually, I wasn't. I was allowed to go trick or treating, but you know, I would watch it maybe with some of my friends that were only allowed to go trunk or treating. You know what I mean? Right. But, you know, it definitely was. You know, it had witchcraft in it, so it definitely felt like, oh, oh, this is this is naughty. Like this is you know, this is something else. You know. Right. But it it you know it it just scratches all the itches of a, a nostalgic, you know, nineteen ninety five, nineteen ninety nine, coming home from school you know, warming up some tomato soup and some, you know, some grilled cheese. And it's a, you know, it's a Friday night and I get to, you know, I just want to get into the season, right? And maybe it's a week or two before Halloween and you're Mm -hmm. you're coming up with ideas for a costume and you're like, oh, what what is this movie Hocus Pocus? It's, it's, It's spooky. It's scary. It's, you know, it takes place in, you know, Northeast. It takes place in like Massachusetts and Salem. Um, and yeah, it, it just ticks all the boxes of like, you know, a movie that's like horror and scary, but like not too scary. Right. Um, but also at the same time, like you could, you could be like, oh, hey, Sarah, uh, down the street, you want to come over and watch something pretty scary and, you know, she'll right. be just scared enough that, you know, maybe you could hold her hand or something. But not too right. scary that she won't talk to you because you took her to Saw. Right. Learn that the hard way. <laughs> yeah. We all did, Mike. We all right. did. We all thought Saw was the perfect get close to a girl movie. And then <laughs> now we have to visit those women in, like, mental hospitals. That, ain't that the truth? Yes. Um, but, you know, that movie has it all, right? It, it's got dance numbers. It's got some questionable action sequences. It's got hokey child actors. Um, but I think most importantly, it's just iconic. And it, it really, um, yeah, when I, when I think of, you know, fall movies, Halloween movies, you know, that's that's the one that really stands out to me. Right. And from what I understand... Like, I remember seeing it, and the only scene I can remember is when he uses daylight savings time to defeat the witches. Which uh, is my favorite way to defeat witches. Um, I don't think George Bush was thinking about that, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I I also remember hearing at an improv class mm. that people who do, like, real pagan witch craft... They hated Hocus Pocus, mm. and they they said this is such a bad representation of witches, and you know you're you're ruining our beliefs, and so they they picketed this movie. Oh, oh. and people were, and you know when people see picketers, they 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 automatically say, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this movie <laughs> ten times harder now, and so. <laughs> Disney actually asked the people who were picketing and protesting, could you come back? Because it's really up in our cells. <laughs> right, right. Please. Yeah. So I thought that was very interesting. If you yeah, ever want it's... a movie to do good, start protesting it. <laughs> right, because at the very least, people will be interested in why. And right. yeah, no, I... And I, I mean, I guess whatever. Like, if that's you know, if that's your, if that's what you're into, whatever. Who am I to judge? But you know, it's at the end of the day, it's a, it's a cheesy, you know, Disney movie from the '90s, and mm-hmm. you know, it's 
yeah, it's it's a great it's a great watch. And most importantly, it has a cute black cat in it, just like my cat Coco. <laughs> well, Adam, while you were watching that, this didn't make my list, but I was I was always watching Halloween Town. Oh, that's a great one too. Yeah, like probably ten times cheesier than Hocus Pocus, which I don't know how you could achieve that, but. <laughs> Um, it you know it was it was the little brother next to Hocus Pocus. Yeah, for sure. I I think I mean it was very much in that same sort of family, right? Like right. people that like the one, like the other. Um, right. Yeah, Halloween it, Town is yeah, Halloween Town's incredible. Yeah, and apparently there's sequels and TV series that Disney have oh. returned to Halloween Town, Halloween Toon Town Two. Oh. And I can't even tell you what the original was about because it's been so long ago. <laughs> right. I always felt like Halloween Town is like, I want to watch Hocus Pocus. We have Hocus Pocus at home, and it was Halloween Town. You know. So, but I'll get to mine because it's actually very Halloween Town-ish. Yeah. So, uh, this movie scared the bejesus out of me. Ooh. I... I probably never watched it all the way through. I probably saw scenes in different orders. Mm. But I have to go with Michael Keaton's best role, Beetlejuice. Uh, I thought you were going to say Batman. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, if you compare these roles, Beetlejuice is on one side of the spectrum and Batman's on the other. And I don't know, like, Michael Keaton as like this... Like he was Deadpool before Deadpool was Deadpool, and right. he was also kind of Duke Nukemish, and he was kind of just dirty and gross, but also funny and silly, and that made you charming in 1988, right? And so, and it was just you know everyone knows about Beetlejuice. He became a Universal Studios like tour show, um, and I remember seeing that in 1992. And it's just, uh, the cartoon series was great. They made up all these weird jokes. Um, like, Beetlejuice could not do wrong in the early 90s. And I think it was because Michael Keaton kind of carried this role. Um, that, and it was, like, Tim Burton just made it so creepy. Like, you know, like when the shrimp became fingers and grabbed people's faces. Right. Um even even Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin putting blankets over their heads and pretending to be ghosts looked kind of scary. Um, just everything about this movie was it was hilarious if you weren't scared, but I was always scared, so I didn't know how funny it was till I saw it later. Right, and and you realize, mm-hmm. I can't be- yeah, I can't believe Dune ripped off those worms. From Beetlejuice? <laughs> like, that's crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, totally, totally agree. Beetlejuice, you know, is, yeah, so iconic. And really, this episode really should be all the Tim Burton movies that we could possibly, hey. you know, stick into this episode. You know, I, I wanted to try to avoid, you know, some obvious things. I, I feel like, you know, you could could you throw... Any any Tim Burton movie, Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, did he do Monster House? 
He did Corpse Bride. Corpse Bride. Did he do Coraline? Uh, I think so. Or number nine. Or yeah, I mean, any Tim Burton. I mean, heck, Tim Burton's Batman or Tim Burton's Batman movie. Um, even gets, you know, honorable mention here. But yeah, no, Tim Burton 100% owns this list. And yeah, we could have done this whole episode, this episode just on him. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, totally agree. Beetle, Beetlejuice is just so I, iconic. And um, yeah, I think he definitely was um, ahead of his time, too, I think, in terms of its writing and its humor. I mean, I think it's, right. I mean, I, I think it got its due from the from people when it came out. But I think subsequent generations and subsequent rewatchings, I think, have really elevated people's view of it, and especially recently. And you know, and now has a Broadway, um, a Broadway play that that's won awards. And um, I think there's a second Beetlejuice movie coming out. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, this movie is you can't you can't say enough. This movie right. is incredible. And, you know, Michael Keaton was a comedian before mm. he was known for superhero stuff. Right. So he was doing all these funny movies. So, um, and then after Batman, he was known for more serious stuff. Right. Um, I I remember, like, he was he was in this, like, movie where he plays, like, a psychopath villain. And his the way he portrayed the character was kind of close to Beetlejuice, but it was a totally different feel. I can't find that movie, but it exists. Um, Anyways, so that was Beetlejuice. What's your number five? My number five and maybe perhaps uh, the culmination of all the things that I love about fall slash you know horror slash you know atmospheric vibes um is harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban um so this is you know first first and foremost my favorite harry potter movie really Um, yeah it's it's my favorite and um i i love the um i think that this movie one kind of nails the spooks pretty well. Like, there's, you know, there's werewolves, there's, you know, haunted mansions, there's, you know, there's, you know, sneaking around. Um, But, you know, also themes of, like, going back to school, um, all the great kind of scenery, landscape shots of, you know, Hogwarts and the ground, especially during the fall. But I think what really makes this movie and I, what I think really makes it um, a great kind of scary or um, kind of horror movie is its director. So it's directed by um, Alfonso Curion and who's better known or I mean, also known for movies like children of men um, mm-hmm. and uh, also movies like Roma and gravity Um so, you know, he has, you know, experience and, and has works with, um, he loves, you know, cinematography and he, but he also knows how to create like, you know, atmospheric drama and yeah. So this, this movie has some of the most beautiful shots in, um, you know, in the, in the series of Harry Potter. I think a lot of the, the later Harry Potter movies are just 
have this really gross beige color palette, whereas this one has, you know, a very fall-centric kind of color palette. Um, and, you know, it, it just feels... It's just a really good atmospheric storytelling coupled with, you know, a great plot. And, um, yeah, so to me, you know, Harry Potter is, you know, the ultimate um, kind of fall movie, you know, as as a whole, a series um, between, you know, ABC Family running, you know, the, the, the Harry Potter movies on a loop all summer or all mm-hmm. fall long. Um but yeah, you know, it it just feels like it just feels like fall, right? Like the whole back to school sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, and you know, witches and wizards and fantastical beasts, and um, yeah, it, it just it just kind of spelled fall for me, and um, this being my favorite Harry Potter movie, um, and with one of the strongest directors, I I, I definitely think that this movie is pretty underrated i think by people i think when people think of their favorite harry potter movies they right. think of like the first two and then they skip three and go right to four and then people aren't the biggest fan of five but they really love like six in the last two but three is is criminally underrated and really i do think it's the best paced the best visually and um yeah it, it definitely feels like the most fall to me yeah i know I've always wondered about the prisoners of Azkaban because people are usually very polar on it. Like, like it's the one we don't talk about. It's, it's the one that you don't have to watch to enjoy the series. But that actually kind of made me want to see like, what's so special or not special about it. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. I mean, it introduces a lot of important plot points that are, you know, important for later on and introduces people like, um, Lupin, who's a werewolf, um, you know, introduces Sirius Black, Harry's godfather, who's very important in later episodes. And yeah, I know it, it, it kind of, it definitely also to me is, and kind of like what fall represents to me, um, is a step into maturity. Like the first two are very whimsical and fun, and you know, of course, there's some you know peril and danger in the first two, but it definitely doesn't feel like oh, it, it feels like whimsical and fantasy, right? Well, the third one is like it feels more real, and it kind of is a step into reality, and it feels more like a, a maturing of the series, and it kind of is the dividing line for me between the first two and then the last four. Yeah, I know I saw the Goblet of Fire. Like, that was my first experience mm. with Harry Potter. Sure. And I was like, I can't, in like, I can't appreciate this like everyone else. Probably because <laughs> I picked the fourth one in the series, so I have no... No context. No context for who's significant yeah. and who's not. Right. And, like, don't get me wrong, I understand why people like the fourth one. I think that's a lot of people's favorite. Um, but to me, it just feels so bloated. It's like it's so, the movie is long, and to me, I feel like they don't. It's not. It's a good movie, but it's not a very good adaptation of the fourth book. Whereas right. it feels like the first three, and then the last three um, movies are very well adapted, um, and they 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 pick out like the really big important plot points, and it feels like. The fourth one just feels cumbersome to me. Right. 
And it it kind of is like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, if you don't know the series, then you don't 100% know what's going on. You know enough to to get through the movie. But at the end, you're like, well, that didn't really make sense. Right. Yeah. It's, I think people talk about that's the one where Edward Cullen dies in it. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes people happy for some reason. (laughs) Right. It's, it's so funny that Robert Pattinson has been in like so many kind of tween sort of movies. Um, but then he's also just like this raw vengeance (laughs) Batman. (laughs) Right. Right. Or he's just like where he, uh, I don't know, smoked weed and that helped him fly through space. (laughs) Something like that. Something Uh, yeah, like that. Or he's in the lighthouse or whatever. Right. <laughs> it was just such a weird career. Yeah, right. I mean, I I love Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think he's one of the few actors that you know doesn't take himself and acting too seriously, but he's very dedicated to the craft. Mm-hmm. Those eyebrows. It's the eyebrows and the jawline. <laughs> yeah. So my like Ooh. my number one mm-hmm. for fall mm-hmm. movies, Adam. Is been a tradition in my um, since 1992. We haven't kept to this tradition, but my family—it's more of like a wishful thinking tradition. Like, wouldn't it be nice to see this movie like we used to? Um, but that is the movie Nightmare Before Christmas. So um, good. It. I think that's what really like. If I'm not mistaken, like Tim Burton was not Tim Burton. You know, all caps until Nightmare Before Christmas. Right. It was beautiful stop motion claymation. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie was creepy as all get out. Like, yeah, it pretty much created the hot topics we see now. <laughs> like, no doubt, without Nightmare Before Christmas, hot topics would not exist. <laughs> and I mean, you and it's it's like the macabre but with like a Disney magical twist to it. Right. And it, it's about Christmas and it melds it with Halloween and it does it in such a way um, where you're, you, you know, it's a creepy movie, but you're still, you still want the protagonist to win. You actually like the idea that Halloween could be forever. (laughs) And, and then you got like Oogie Boogie or the, the boogeyman. And he was super creepy. And I don't know that the cinematography and the colors and just what they could do with stop motion is like, put this movie on the map. And, and if that's not enough, they added songs that people love. So. Yeah, totally, totally, totally agree. Um, and, um, yeah, no, it, it, it's Nightmare for Christmas is, is interesting in that it's, it, it felt like Tim Burton, cause Tim Burton didn't direct it, right? Like he just wrote it and, um, oh, now I have to see who directed it. It was, oh yeah, you're right. It's Henry Selick. Right, right. 
Um, but he, but Tim Burton like did all the writing and like he came up with a story. Like it, it's his project. He just didn't necessarily direct. It. I think that because he wanted, because I think he went out of his way to make sure that it was somebody that had familiarity with, mm-hmm. um, like that oh. stop motion stuff. Right, because, right. Because before he just, because you know, up until then he'd done like what Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Batman and. Edward Scissor's hand, scissor hands, right. things like that. But, um, yeah, it's 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 really it's yeah it it's the big one, right? Like that's right. I think that's on the Mount Rushmore. That's um, that's the Hulk Hogan of like, right. Christmas movies or Halloween movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. And yeah, no, it it's just it's perfect, right? Like it mm-hmm. it just is. And really, like you know, this episode should have been just what Tim Burton movies do you like? <laughs> right, but now that you told me about this director Henry Selick, he was in charge of James and the Giant Peach and Coraline. Yeah, and he did an adaptation of that video game Little Nightmares. Yeah, which is perfect for him. So now maybe maybe I've been giving the wrong <laughs> the wrong credit where it's due. Yeah, I <laughs> maybe I'm yeah, a Henry I... Selleck fan. <laughs> I mean, Tim Burton still like <laughs> was heavily involved with it. Like he wrote it, and right. I'm sure he had a say in his direction. But yeah, no, totally. I I'm right there with you, man. I I, I definitely mm-hmm. think. I mean, all those movies feel like Halloween or or or, or, or right. you know, fall to me. I mean, just going through Tim Burton's just filmography, right? Like Beetlejuice, check the Batman movies, check. Yeah, Edward Scissorhands, check. Um, you know, Sleepy Hollow, super check. underrated movie. Johnny Depp, uh, check. Um, that one's really scary. Have you seen that? Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, with uh, it's so it's Tim Burton, um, and uh, it has Johnny Depp is in it and Christina Ricci, who we talked about earlier today, right? Michael Gambon, who is um, Dumbledore. Um, yeah, it's it's scary, it's it's really good. Um, um yeah, Charlie and the Chakra Factory, which is creepy for different reasons. Uh, Corpse Bride, creepy, wonderful. Sweeney Todd, Alice in Wonderland, Frank and Weenie. Frank, um, oh yeah, Frank and Weenie is, that's a household name. <laughs> Love that. And definitely one of Tim Burton's more underrated movies. Um, have you seen Dark Shadows? Right, I, I know, I actually saw the show that it's based on. It's like mm. a British soap opera with vampires. Yeah. And had some really cheesy effects and he kind of turned it into a comedy. Yeah, it's like a dark comedy. I mean, it's a it's a Tim Burton comedy. Yeah. Um yeah, but I mean the cast in it is absolutely brilliant. It's Johnny Depp, Eva Green, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, Helena Bonham Carter, uh Chloe Grace Moritz. Like it's it, Christopher Lee is in it. Um yeah. Alice Cooper has an appearance in it. Um, it's, yeah, it's solid. It's super good. Um, yeah, so really this episode could have just been dedicated to Tim Tim Burton, but, you know, I didn't want to fall into that trap. I wanted to to branch out as much as possible. Right, right. And, yeah, 
I think we did a good job talking about all of that. You know what fall is. Yeah. It's it's co it's either super cozy where you're falling in love or you're creeped out. <laughs> no, but nothing in between. Right. But you know, if anyone does it, it's Tim Burton that it, you know manages to do both, right? Like he's he he nails the the creep and he manages the falling in love, right? Right. Well, you know, the, the Corpse Bride and Nightmare Before Christmas, right? It's all about love. And you know, Beetlejuice yeah. has that scene where uh, they're doing the séance and you see their you see their bodies like wilting. Yeah. And that gives me nightmares beyond nightmares. So I yeah, guess that's, that's a love scene. Cause... <laughs> that's how I felt. That scene also gave me similar vibes to when I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time. Yeah. And those people's faces melted off. Right. That's up. same vibes. Mm-hmm. Terrifying. Yeah, so you're either going to go to bed like crying... Right. Or you're going to go to bed wishing for love. <laughs> but uh, never the same. Never the same. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. But yeah, Mike, I super, super psyched about this episode. Um, do, do you have any honorary mentions before we, we wrap it up? Any last well, thoughts? All this talk about Coraline and Nightmare Before Christmas um, made me think about Paranorman. Oh yeah, that's a um, great one. Which I, you would one would assume that that's a, either Henry Selleck or a Tim Burton. No, but it is not. It is, uh, I think, a Chris Butler. Yeah, yeah. So that's also a good movie. Really solid. <laughs> Super solid. Yeah. What about you? Um. Let's see. I mean, I, I we we've talked a lot about maybe some of my honorary mentions. I mean, all the Tim Burtons, Batman for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, one that really stands out to me, and the reason I couldn't fully put it on my list because I couldn't, you know, like it didn't specifically mention or talk about fall in any real way. Um, but Knives Out, the first one. Um, yeah, that was on the list too. Mm-hmm. And also a Studio Ghibli-esque type movie called The Deer King. Oh, I don't know if I've seen that. It's, yeah, like it was just kind of was there and it said, this is a, a fall movie and it looked like a Studio Ghibli, very heavily inspired by one, if it's not. Right. So I'm definitely have to add that to my a thousand movie list. <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no knives out to me. I mean the the costuming, the 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 cable knit sweaters. Yeah. Um, yeah. To me, it just kind of screams fall. Oh, it's here. It's happening. Right. Um, In those movies, you, you don't think they're fall movies, and then they're on a list, and you're like, oh yeah, those those leaves were orange. <laughs> ah, right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So so that for me, yeah, that and then. Um, maybe also in the, the same vein, um, just in terms of like spooktacular slash comedy slash fun, 
but the the clue movie um also on the list yeah has a, a good kind of fall kind of vibe to me so those two kind of kind of in the same vein right they're they're both kind of like these dark black humor black comedies right um but yeah with wonderful casts um rocky horror picture show i feel like was criminal that we we didn't talk about that i think that's another one um yeah the adams family i we briefly talked about them those mm-hmm. movies but um yeah no that's all i can really think of but yeah those those movies oh okay yeah <laughs> all, all of those are great movies right and good solid and right yeah i mean fall can be anything as long yeah. as there's a yellow leaf somewhere <laughs> and like a dirt road that leads to a, a warm house it could be a fall movie <laughs> no i totally agree yeah well anyways speaking of things that should fall our episode should be falling right about <laughs> now but right Thank you for joining us, everybody. And Adam, I I mean mm. next two weeks I think we'll be we'll be over the, the Halloween hump. No, no, I, I lied. We'll be one day Just... before Halloween, so I think we should Ooh. hype it up with a good old classic Halloween movie. A no good spoilers. old classic Christmas movie. Right. Nightmare <laughs> before Christmas. Right, right. No, totally. I, I definitely think we should. You know, it's got to be. We got to talk about Halloween, right? Right, right. So get ready for next week when we talk about Happy Death Day Two. <laughs> I don't know. Great movie. Yes, great movie. Uh, well, anyways, thank you for anyways. joining us. Check out yeah. our Discord. Yes. I've been Mike. I'm Adam. And have a great movie day. Goodbye. Goodbye. Mwah.